We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's up, folks? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by Indeed and Bet Online. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for the Blue Wire Network. And joining me is my co host, former NFL defensive back, a man who takes away children's electronics when they get bad grades, Eric Crocker. <laughs> What's up, what's up, dude? What's up, man? You look, you know, I'm you know the crazy thing is like with my son D, he's at, you know, obviously he's my stepson. But I told him, I was like, you know what, D? I think God told me to slide in your mom's DMs for me. <laughs> because everything that he's going through, he's really like a miniature version of me. Not even a miniature version. He's just Eric when he was 13 years old. And 
loves he loves basketball, loves football. Um, he's like a late bloomer in the sense of like when he's starting puberty. So he's only like five three in the eighth grade, which I was five three in the eighth grade. And um, like all the things he's going through, like where it's ch- is tough, it's challenging. Everybody around him is growing. I'm there to kind of counsel him or consult him because I went through the exact same thing. And um, he's someone that is smart, but he has to be pushed to get good grades. And I was the same way. Now, the only difference is I didn't have anybody to push me. So my grades were terrible. It was like once I got eighth grade, like my grades just fell off a cliff. And um, that resulted, it was like a snowball effect from eighth grade to like high school. Uh, You know, multiple times I didn't, I was ineligible to play football, basketball, like all different things where I love playing. And I was talented, but nobody pushed me like academically. So he's going through a lot of the same things. And, you know, we just, we push him and we don't accept C's because we know he's capable of doing better, which I was too. I was just lazy or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Like how it's just a a smaller version of me, but um, yeah, that's what that, but the, but the tweet, if you guys didn't see it, I had tweeted out about how, you know, he had two C's he knows the rules. Like you bring home any C's, you're getting your, your, uh, your consoles, your phone, you know, his Xbox, Nintendo switch, all that is getting taken away. He knew that. Well, he got two C's. We took his stuff away, but I'm not sure if he's the one getting punished or we're getting punished because this dude has been jumping off the walls. Like, I mean, all the energy, I guess, that he used just watching his phone and playing video games, he's just being annoying as fuck now. Like, he's just hella, (laughs) he's hella annoying. And it's just like, God damn, like, made him go outside. Uh, Luckily, today he went and worked uh, with his quarterback on um, route running and catching the ball and stuff like that. But it's been really tough just because now it's like he doesn't know what to do with himself since he doesn't have his video games and stuff. But that's what, you know, when Rob opened up talking about me taking, you know, his stuff for bad grades, that's what that was about. Right. And obviously I say that, you know, one, in jest. And two, obviously it's something that that I'm going to have to go through when I have kids. It's like, and it's something my parents did for me. My parents were both teachers. They both had very, very high expectations of me. And if I didn't meet those expectations that they knew I was very capable of, then uh, there were consequences. And it was a very simple, a simple thing. I just thought it was funny that some of the people in your, uh, in your mentions were like acting like that's the wrong thing to do. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a baby step. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you're whooping him. It's not like you're locking him in his, in his room for days. Like, it's not like you're not letting him hang out with people. It's like, you know, at some point you in the, in your life, and it's something that not a lot of people learn fast enough, I've begun, begun to notice, is that there's consequences. And, yep. you know, with, with, with every action comes a consequence, good or bad. And, you know, there's been plenty of people in my life. I remember when I first joined the military, when I was still in Fresno State, and I just like, a lot of the stuff, I just joined the military, a lot of the stuff I thought was stupid, um, I just like, I wasn't buying in completely. And I remember the guy who was in charge of us on one time, one point pulled me aside and said, look, like, I know that could you, can you serve your time and just get out? Yeah, of course. He said, but I know that you are capable of way, way, way more than what you are doing right now. And he wasn't necessarily punishing me, but those words that he said to me really, really stuck with me like a lot. And so, 
you know, I always remember him saying that like 10 years later, after I'd done my time in the military, um, everything went, went great with that. Um, you know, I, I knocked out two teaching credentials and a master's degree, got myself an art job all in a super short span of time. I remember going back on Facebook and messaging him saying, Hey, I just want to let you know, I appreciated the fact that you were always pushing me. You know, even if I didn't stay in the military, those kind of lessons like that last a lot longer than that. So, you know, learning to push yourself and never accept mediocrity is such a valuable skill. I even try to find ways to mention it in my art classes to these kids because, you know, some of them you can show just have never been told that, you know. So anyways, obviously, I don't want to turn this into a, a teaching, coaching parenting session yeah. between me and me and croc so but maybe maybe those of you who are listening are perfectly fine talking about something else because the 49ers just shit the bed big time against the seahawks they lost 27 to 37 in seattle in with a score that for the most part if you watch the game it wasn't that close now at one point they did they did make it a little bit of a game We'll talk about that, but for the most part, the Seahawks um, control the 49ers in every way, shape, or form uh, throughout the majority of the game. And it was not what you were hoping to see after two really, really encouraging games from the 49ers, dominating the Patriots the week before, um, and then and then handling the Rams really convincingly the week before that. And it was just, I mean, from top to bottom. It was a really, really rough game for the 49ers. What is like your your big prevailing thought, thought Crocker? What what like immediately comes to mind? Uh, I think disappointing because the, the 49ers like they don't. There was poor execution, um, and I think a lot of it started with Jimmy Garoppolo, who. I think the one thing like we can count on Jimmy Garoppolo doing for the most part is at the very least when it's there, executing the game plan. And I felt like today he didn't do that very well. Now, I saw a lot of people like saying, oh, Kyle Shanahan, he's calling a bad game and stuff like that. I didn't think so. I just think it wasn't being executed. And when it's not being executed on the field, um, I guess, yeah, ultimately it ends up falling back on him. But I, I don't think it was him. I think it was Jimmy Garoppolo. And I've said it, my biggest issue with him, I don't, I'm not on Jimmy Garoppolo like like other people, how they just think he sucks. I don't think so. I do think he struggles sometimes if however the, the play was kind of designed and that's how they wanted to kind of call the play. I think sometimes he struggles with that. And we saw that today, you know, just with the interception where it's like, oh, this ball, like this play is designed to go to Kittle. And that that wasn't open, but you know what? I'm 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 so focused on doing it how and, and kind of being a, a Kyle Shanahan robot, I'm gonna throw it to him no matter what. And he got an interception, which when you know Kendrick Bourne was open for a touchdown. So I think that's the bigger thing. Uh, you know, his quarterback not really being able to like execute and be able to play off script just a little bit and and that kind of snowballed into the 49ers falling behind. Yeah, it's it's tough for me. Some of the play calls that Kyle Shanahan drew up did seem a little weird, you know, but but that's beyond me, you know. Like, I don't feel like I have the credentials to criticize Kyle Shanahan's play calling. A guy who's made it to the highest level of coaching is known as one of, if not the best player caller in the NFL, who has spent all week, if not more, 
preparing for this matchup against the Seahawks. You know, like I, I don't, I just don't feel like I can step in and say you called a shitty game. You know, because I don't have, I don't know the playbook. I don't know what's supposed to happen on every play. I don't know the reads. I don't know what's, you know, what he's, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many, I could just walk down the, the aspects of play calling in the NFL that I don't know yet. Somehow I think that I should ridicule, you know what I mean? Like it's it's way easier to ridicule a player that over what you see them do in one specific moment than it is to rip a head coach and his play calling when there's so much more that goes into it that I don't even remotely understand. And and I, so I just, I never feel like I like, like Rob on striking gold thinks Kyle Shanahan did a shitty job with his play calls. Like who cares? (laughs) I mean, I just, I just don't know, you know, like now if let's say it was super late game, you know, a fourth down decision, they elect a punt should have gone for it. Stuff like that. That's a little easier to to discern. Uh, whether or not you agree with that decision. But I don't know anything about calling plays at, a, at an NFL level. I could barely even call plays at the middle school level. How the <laughs> hell am I going to come on here and, and talk shit on Kyle Shanahan? You know, so right. it's tough. And obviously, poor execution will make any play call look bad. Yeah, and I think that's the bigger thing because there are a lot of people like, oh, the play calling is crappy. And it's like, man, like – like you said, like this dude is known to be an offensive genius, and you think all of a sudden he's just going to call bad plays? Like it doesn't work like that. Typically, it's the offense not executing the play call for the most part. Now there are sometimes where, like you said, questionable dis- decisions. But as far as the play calling goes, I think he called a lot of the stuff that he typically likes to run, and it just wasn't executed at a high level. And I think that was that was more of the issue, in my opinion. Right. And going back to Garoppolo, Garoppolo looked looked rough from the start. Uh, he did not have a good game in any way, shape or form. I mean, even the completions he did make, there was maybe one or two that were that were impressive to, you know, and, and that's all I would say about him. He had a real nice throw uh, um, to the far. I think it was to the far side of the field to maybe it wasn't now that I'm thinking about it to Kendrick Bourne on third down to, to put him in scoring position, you know, but overall a really, really bad game for Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't look confident against one of the worst passing defenses in the NFL. Now, I will say this. Division games are always the exception to every rule. How many times when the 49ers were hella good and the Rams were hella shitty, did the Rams just give the 49ers a run for their money? (laughs) Even in those years when they were going to the NFC Championship and going to the Super Bowl, the games against the Rams were almost always close. Just because they were losing them. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, the division games are always different. They always are, no matter what. The two teams know way more about each other. They they come way more prepared. They you know, you never have trouble getting up for a division game. It, but that is what it is. The 49ers were facing one of if not the worst defense they faced all year and they could not capitalize whatsoever. At the very least Jimmy Garoppolo can couldn't capitalize. Now, one thing we have to consider is he did leave the game in the third quarter with, um, you know, his ankle had been re-aggravated. They were even talking about it like fairly early on in the first half. They were already showing clips of Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball and kind of like refusing to step down on that back ankle, which is like basically 50% of your torque comes from planting both feet and driving. And he wasn't doing that. Now, is that the reason he played shitty? Probably not. At least it's not the whole reason. 
But it was surprising to me that so early on in the first half, they were already talking about that and kind of breaking down how his throwing motion was incomplete because he couldn't throw the ball. And but then there were there were other throws that were just plain bad. Like George right. Kittle ran a little like like eight to ten yard whip route, he cut outside, then planted and cut back inside. And Jimmy Garoppolo threw it like five feet behind him, right to uh, DJ Reed, former 49ers defensive back. Um, so I mean, it, it was just it was rough. I have no idea how much of that is to blame because of his ankle, but if if it is, at some point Jimmy Garoppolo has to be. I don't know, mature, smart. Um, if if he feels like that ankle is preventing him from playing, then he shouldn't be going out there. All he, if, if that ankle really is that bad, all he's doing is prolonging the recovery. So I, I don't know what the deal is there. And now the 49ers are going to have to look at it again. Jimmy Garoppolo might miss more time. The 49ers are playing on Thursday against the Packers. So the whole ankle Garoppolo thing, you know, I don't know how much to attribute to it, especially when Garoppolo looked solid last week and the week before, even though all of his throws traveled like 10 yards. But, you know, it, it, there's just so many things to consider with how bad Garoppolo was. But this was another one of his worst games of the season. He ended up completing 68% of his passes for 84 yards and an interception that was clearly his fault. Crocker mentioned it before the pod. Garoppolo sailed a bunch of balls over receivers' heads that looked like easy throws. He missed an open kittle over the middle of the field in the beginning of the game um, that would have gone for, at the very least, a big first down or or an even bigger game. Um, and then he left in the third quarter. And then Nick Mullins came in. Looked pretty solid. I mean, most of his stats, which he completed 72% of his passes for 238 yards, and two touchdowns. The vast majority of those were during kind of like a garbage time. But to his defense, on the his first drive when he came in, he led the team down the field for the touchdown um, and was about six inches shy of converting the two-point that would have put the 49ers within one score. So Nick Mullen's first drive, which was good, wasn't necessarily a garbage time, time, garbage time drive. He got the 49ers within one possession. So, but then everything after that, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, the Seahawks immediately responded with their own drive that went all the way down the field, took up plenty of time. And once they scored there, the game was pretty much under wraps. And everything after that kind of became gar- garbage time for the rest of the offense. But I don't know. Crocker, you got anything more on, on Garoppolo? You got anything more to say about Garoppolo? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, obviously I tweeted out stuff about like Zach Wilson. You've seen the people, a lot of people like him. But I, I do think, like, ultimately, like, if, if this is what the type of performances you're going to get out of your, you know, $27 million a year quarterback, then I do think that is worth moving on from. Now, Jimmy is somebody that I do like. And every week I go into it just saying like, okay, prove me right, Jimmy. Like, cause I always, uh, you know, defend you and everything. Like prove me right. And I just think ultimately he kind of is what he is. He's somebody that kind of plays up and down and he needs a lot of the circumstances around him to be more than ideal to typically win a game, especially against a good opponent. And I think that's just kind of what we're seeing where, you know, in games like this, where your your opponent is as good or better, especially offensively, you, you can't have that type of those type of lapses. Um, and he he does. And he does it, you know, there are times where 
you know, again, again in the uh, playoff game against the Philadelphia Eagles where he has those type of moments. But the 49ers defense was playing extremely well. So it didn't really, like, you know, highlight it uh, as much, right? It, it wasn't as much of a problem. Uh, same thing in the NFC Championship game where I actually think he played well that game. But, you know, they didn't really need him to kind of be the guy. So I, I just I, – I look at it, man, and it's like, damn, like, and it's really early in the season. There's a lot of football left in the season. Like, anything can happen. He might he might turn it around and play extremely well. But I just think so far from what I've seen from him over, you know, the year and a half that he has been starting, it's just never – I've never get real comfortable with him. And I hate that yeah. feeling. Like, I, I don't know exactly – what I'm going to get. I feel like every week I go into it and it's like a hopeful feeling. And then when he does play well, it's like, okay, there we go. Like, okay, that, that's it. <laughs> there's no you know consistency. Yeah, but then there's no consistency. And I just think out of your guy that's $27 million a year, and part of it is, you know, probably not his fault, but, you know, you, you need that. You, you need that. You need that consistency, and we're, and we're not getting it. So, yeah, it, it's a little troubling. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's uh, it was it was just a rough outing, and again, like like you just said, it's just consistency. You should have more consistency in your offense than what Jimmy Garoppolo is giving you at this point. He has his good games, he has his good moments, he has his bad games, he has his bad moments, and they're just there. There's not enough of of one or the other, <laughs> you know. And right. It's kind of frustrating. It's it, it, you know, if he was bad consistently, consistent consistently, then the 49ers would know what they needed to do. If he was good consistently, then no one would give a shit. But he's not either of those things. So, um, but again, when you're paying that much money, uh, you should be good consistently. And you know, it's just worth talking about when the 49ers are going into an offseason where they're going to be very strapped for cash. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be their top earner, salary cap wise. Um, he's not, at least right now, he's not performing to the caliber you'd expect from uh, you know a guy getting paid as much as he's getting paid. So, you know, there's going to be conversation points that need to be talked about going through the season. If, if Garoppolo doesn't show obvious improvement and he's going to have to do that with whatever ankle injuries nagging him, or he just needs to sit his ass on the bench until he can be 100% because right. it's just at this point, you're not helping the team by getting out there. You know, it, it's just, it's just nothing's helping. So, all right, we're going to get a, uh, we're going to get a quick word in from our sponsors, and then we are going to come back, talk for talk through the rest of this game, and we'll be out of here. Stick with us. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed's here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed's going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they've done for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners at Striking Gold a free $75 credit to boost your job post 
which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offers valid through December 31st. And football's back in full swing. You might not be out of game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline's going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget, use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You know what was a cool thing, Eric Crocker? Yes, sir. Was watching Brandon Ayuk get to do wide receiver things. It was. And I hate that it had, and I don't want to be too negative on this pod, but I hate that it had to be in like, I don't want to say garbage time, but it's like, oh, well, now we have to throw the ball and yeah, let's use our rookie now, right? They, they, he, because he I feel passed, like they could do that at any point. Right. I mean, he kind of passed um, over the middle early in the game. And then after that, they just kind of went away from him all the way until pretty much, you know, late in the fourth quarter where it's like, well, we have to throw the ball around now. Okay, let's throw him. Oh, throw him a screen. He picks up a first down. Throw him, you know, a a curl, a stop route. Oh, let's throw a go route, 30-something yard game. Like, dude, like, why don't you use him like this throughout the game to keep teams honest instead of, you know, forcing everything short and over the middle um, for an entire game, and then oh, all of a sudden it's not working. I had this conversation with a parent about a high school football game I just went to, and the team they want to be like this power running team, but and it works against teams that they're just better than. But once they play against somebody that kind of sniffs out what they want to do, like they don't really have a counter punch. And I'm like, you know, you kind of set your team up for, uh, I don't want to say for failure, and I don't want to say that about Kyle Shanahan, but. It's like you, you be diverse, deep, be more diverse from the jump when it when it comes to getting the ball di- down to your first round draft draft pick, you know, downfield. And I thought like, you know, later in the game we saw it, but I'm like, man, I'm like, you literally can do this with Brandon Ayuk at any point in the game. At any point in the game, you can do this. And they they just, I don't know. It is weird. And that's kind of me being a little frustrated because it's like, damn, like he's so talented, <laughs> you know? He's so talented. Like, did you see that touchdown? Like, he how he just froze Dunbar? Like, so talented. But, you know, just use him, man. All the time. Use him all the time. Use him well, like, like the Redskins use, like, uh, 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 Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Yeah, I was a, I was a, I'm a big Terry McLaurin guy. I've had him, I've had him on my fantasy football team the last two years. I was a big fan of his coming out of the draft. Just he just was a super well-rounded receiver, and of course he just gets into the league and dominates. But um, it, it it was cool. I know that some of his stats came on garbage time, but man, it's just at least at least 
they're doing receiver things, you know, and right. and a lot of Kendrick Bourne's numbers came on garbage time. Speaking of Kendrick Bourne numbers, he had eight catches. So does that not put him on pace um, think, for your bet? I think that puts him back on pace. So yeah, no, I was I was counting all, every catch, and I was uh, I was looking into those, man. Yeah, I think that puts him back back on let me, pace. Let me get in. Let me get in here. Let's let's we're gonna we're gonna keep our our listeners on the hook. Okay, so what was the bet? Uh, he needs he needs forty five catches or more. He gets those, I get a hundred dollars. Okay, so he has. This only says he has seven. Well, this probably hasn't. Okay, so this probably doesn't include the most recent game. No, it says seven games. So if we add eight, that means he's at twenty five. He's at twenty five catches, and the 49ers just hit the halfway point of the season. So he's on pace for fifty. Yes. I like it. <laughs> now, he'll probably have some pretty big numbers next week because Debo Samuel is – because, one, he's not going to have to see Jari Alexander. And, two, uh, the Seahawks – or, excuse me, what was I just going to say? I just completely lost my train of thought. Yeah, I, I said Packers, but I was even thinking something else. So, yeah, uh, you know, he's not going to – Jari Alexander will probably go over with Ayuk or – uh, you know, I don't know if they they'll put him on kill at all, but Kendrick Bourne should get a lot of catches next week too. Pad those stats a little bit, so you know that's nice. That was one thing I did notice. <laughs> um, I I, uh, I picked him up as a last minute addition to my fantasy team too. And even though the I just got destroyed this week, uh, there was no way that Kendrick Bourne was going to be the reason I won. But he did put up some good points, and yeah, I, you know, who cares about them garbage time points? Points are points, but. Um, uh, the running backs were just whatever it, 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 it seemed the Seahawks game plan was obviously to, and they've been decent against the run this season, but it was obviously to stop the run, pressure the quarterback and make whoever was back there. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo beat them with his arm and he was, and which is crazy because the 49 or excuse me, the Seahawks secondary sucks and the 49ers still couldn't do it. Kyle Shanahan said afterwards at the press conference that the, the Seahawks were blitzing a lot, and they had opportunities to make them pay for doing that, and they weren't able to do it. Uh, you know, you talked about that throw where he had that rusher coming right at him, but had plenty of time to hit Kyle Juszczyk, and he just sailed it way over him. You know, well, a lot so of that it, too has to do with your quarterback, like you know, and and, and well, that's, that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, when when you have a quarterback that, like, you you need him to make a play, like you said, like they're blitzing. We know they're blitzing. We know every third down they're sending the house. We need our quarterback to make a throw. And when you have a quarterback where now he's rushed through his decision-making and stuff, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Now, it makes it more difficult than for all quarterbacks, right? When 49ers blitzed Russell Wilson before the half, um, he was getting the ball out and he was some really errant throws and he was throwing in between two people and it was really weird. But with the 49ers quarterbacks, I mean, this happened throughout an entire game and they didn't really make too many plays against the Blitz. Now, now Jimmy did last week, or not last week, the game against the Rams, but uh, for the touchdown to George Kittle, but definitely didn't today. Right. Yeah, it was it was rough, and unfortunately, there's not really there's not really anything positive to say about the defense either. They gave up 37 points. Uh, DK Metcalf went absolutely ham. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley is having a nightmare about DK Metcalf tonight because. He was matched up against DK Metcalf for the majority of the time, not every rep, 
But for the majority of the time, DK Metcalf finished with 12 catches for 161 yards and two touchdowns. But Manuel Mosley did have that one rep. It's kind of like golf. You know, if you hit one good shot, then you're going to do it again. You know, you'll come back and play more. Emmanuel Mosley had that one good rep uh, on, a, on a deep sideline throw that was perfectly on target from Russell Wilson. But Emmanuel Mosley went step for step with Metcalf and was perfectly in phase, got his head around, knocked the ball away like it was no problem. I mean, that was an impressive rep, but I think it's safe to say DK, you know, won that one. But um, what did you, I mean, what did you see, Croc, from that matchup? And, and was there even, and there was that, you know, you, you offer me your thoughts, bro. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's a tough matchup. You know, I think the world of, I think the world of of DK Metcalf, and I think he's extremely talented. One of he's he's going to be definitely one of the top receivers in the league, like if he's not already like a top five type caliber guy. Um, you know, Manny Mosley, like you know, he's an undrafted rookie free agent, and he definitely plays well. But like you know, those type of situations are tough for him. Now, I I, I want to get pick a bone more with uh, Robert Sala. And there has to be a way that you help your young corner, um, whether you use a bracket coverage or whatever. Because what the 49ers do is they do field boundary with the cornerbacks. So um, uh, Mosley plays to the boundary. Uh, Verrett plays to the field. Well, the the Seahawks just happened to play DK a lot to the boundary. So that was why you saw that matchup you know, more times than not. Help with some type of bracket coverage. Give him over-the-top help. Give him a safety over the top. And I just felt like that was one way where they kind of, you know, didn't help him. Um, now, there were a couple of times where I felt like the 49ers could have played certain things better. Uh, I saw the 49ers go to man. They had everybody in the box. And I said, damn, they're going to throw a slant to DK. So at this point, you have to, like, you know, if you can, if they have the freedom to do this, alert to your safety, like, hey, you come down for the slant, I'm going to take away the fade ball. Because it's man to man, and that definitely wasn't uh, communicated. They ran a slant, easy completion, uh, happened to get in the end zone, and then there was another play on third down where I felt like Emmanuel Mosley, 49ers were sending an all-out blitz. 49ers sending an all-out blitz. That means the ball has to come out hot. So typically, when the ball is coming out hot, you're able to play the sticks. You don't back out. You don't back out because you know that route has to. It's either going to be a slant or an out route at the sticks. If he tries to do anything else, he's not going to have enough time to do it um, unless he just throws up a lob ball. So you sit at the sticks and you make him beat you with something that you don't expect to come. And they ran an out route, which is what I would have expected, something to quick right now, either out route or slant, and mostly backed out of there and gave up the first down. You know, those are things that you you need to challenge yourself a little bit more in that type of situation. So... I know it's tough because you got big ass DK who can run and all that, but like they're gonna if you don't get the stop, they're probably they're gonna score anyways. So you got to figure out a way to challenge yourself, and I thought that was a missed opportunity there. Right, because yeah, that ball uh, has to come out regardless. That's how people get interceptions, and people be like, "Damn, it's almost like he knew what the route was." And it's like, well, he knows that the ball has to come out now, so he's able to sit and jump it, and and you see guys do that. And, and people are like, damn, how do you know that? Oh, he's so good. Look how he – but it's like, well, he was just anticipating it because what else are they going to do? Right. And it was – you know, and, and it's obviously a much, much different situation, a much different play. But that's why Tremaine Brock was able to drive on the ball so well in the pick and the stick because he knew the 49ers uh, were sending everybody. 
and he knew the route had to be short and it was different coverage. I think they were, they, they made it to where, you know, it was basically don't let anybody outside of you. And, you know, he stayed in perfect position and drove the ball and ended up wrestling for it and tipping it up over his head to Navarro Bowman. So it was just a, maybe it's just a situational thing where Emmanuel Mosley has to have the wherewithal to, to know his down and distance and know the play call and, and know what to do in that situation because it was just such an easy completion. Obviously, it was a great throw, but, I mean, Emmanuel Mosley wasn't even really there to challenge it. He was just kind of running up from behind him when he caught it and ran out of bounds. So it was just – it's stuff like that where you're not even giving yourself a chance to to make a play. It's not even – not even in the cards. It was just it was just frustrating. And another thing the 49ers did not do was really, you know, get after Russell Wilson all that much. They did end up with two sacks. You know, they had three quarterback hits, but they there was just so many times where Russell Wilson was just kind of standing back there, surveying the field, looking for whoever he needed to look for. Um, the 49ers defense came out hot. They looked like they had the answers early. You know, they, they shut the Seahawks down their first two drives really quick. And then after that, it, you know, after uh, um, I think it was Jimmy Garoppolo's interception, I mean, it kind of just sucked the life out of and all momentum out of the 49ers. And, and the Seahawks were kind of rolling from there. I don't know what adjustments were made. I don't know what changes were made. But basically from that point on, the 49ers, uh, for the most part, just gave way routinely for the rest of the game. Um, it, it just it just wasn't a good showing all the way around. You know, it was just it was rough. There's there wasn't really. I mean, there's usually we can find some sort of positive to insert into these podcasts. You know, especially coming from me, but there just was not a lot to to take from it. You know, everybody was so bad. It was. I mean, I think the I thing know. that surprised me the most from the defense was how many times they gave up the edge, where you'd see instant penetration from the middle. And they let guys just get outside of them. And we typically don't see that. Now, obviously, a lot of times it's Nick Bosa that's out there on that edge. And nobody gets around him. And this time, I want to say it was always opposite of where Armstead was. Because Armstead typically does a good job of not letting guys get off the edge. But that's where you miss guys like Bosa. That's where you even miss guys like Solomon Thomas, who play that part well. Where they, they don't really give up the edge. And that was one thing I saw today where I'm like, damn, like, that's not the 49ers. Like, they don't let – and it just kept happening and happening. And it was really surprising because, I mean, the the initial push from inside the middle was right now. Like, right now. Like, we're, damn, they're in the backfield. Like, this is going to be a tackle for loss. And then surely the guy just kind of took it, you know, uh, stretched it, stretched it, stretched it, and got around the corner. And that's not something that happens with the 49ers, but it definitely happened several times today. Enough times for me to really kind of pay attention and, and notice it. Well, yeah, and there were there were a couple times where Fred Warner and both Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw just both took horrible angles and ended up running behind the running back, and and while he ran for like a first down or a big game, you know, it was it was just a really 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 uncharacteristic game from so many different aspects of the 49ers. You know, the offensive line seemed like they regressed. Regressed. They gave they gave up a lot of pressures, a lot of sacks. Um, a lot of um, blitzers came through relatively unscathed. Um, I know the center, um, Grossi, he was beat by Bobby Wagner, clean, just came through right at him and and basically swam around him. And it was like the offensive line couldn't protect. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo left the game with an ankle injury after a sack. Um, 
was obviously limping off the field and then ended up limping all the way into the locker room. So it was, you know, they didn't do a good job. The 49ers couldn't run the ball. The rushing offense only averaged 2.4 yards per carry. You know, the only thing the 49ers could do was pass, pass like crazy when they were so far behind that it didn't matter anymore. So, I mean, and the defense, you know, the, 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 uh, Nick Mullins got them within one score, you know, actually, no, excuse me, got them within 10 points. Um, and then the defense just immediately gave up another touchdown drive all the way down the field. Now, you know, some of that, um, I don't know if it was in that drive was where Jimmy Ward was flagged for that pretty ridiculous, uh, roughing the quarterback penalty. I mean, you could check my Twitter. I posted the video of it, but it was, to me, it was, it was pretty shady of Russell Wilson and there are implications to what he did. You know, because he he ran straight at Jimmy Ward and then kind of planted his right foot like he was going to cut and maybe drive his shoulder a little bit. And then at the very last second, just goes down into like a sideways slide. And Jimmy Ward had already like kind of started to initiate a tackle. And at that point, well, what else is there to do? You know, like you got to you got to have to hit the guy unless you're going to end up doing something so weird that you get yourself hurt. Right. And and so he hit Russell Wilson and uh, in the head, which, like I said, he really didn't have a choice. Um, and it, to me, something like that, like you go back and watch it. It's it's it, to me, it's obvious what what happened. It's a little shady on Russell Wilson's part, and it's going to put players at risk. Because, you know, defenders are going to see that and be like, look, I don't know if this quarterback is going to slide or not. So I'm going to hit him. And some of them are obviously dirty. You've seen it. You've seen it. But some of them are not because these defenders are cho- are are forced to make a decision in a matter of half a second on whether or not to tackle or not, especially when there's a first down marker nearby, and there was in this play. And you know, it to me, it's just it's it's undermining the rule. And there, the NFL needs to make it to where if you are not obviously sliding like a baseball slide on your ass, then you do not get protection because you are not doing a good enough job advertising that you are about to slide and you are giving yourself up. Jimmy Ward didn't know. Did you see my tweet earlier this week or a few days ago? We were talking about it. I can't remember what got us talking about it. Uh, I, I tweeted out and I was just like, quarterbacks have to give themselves up. Like, oh, it was the, um. I remember what made me tweet it. It was the Andy Dalton hit. And Andy Dalton, you know, got his block rock. But give yourself up sooner. Like quarterbacks, quarterbacks, excuse me, quarterbacks control when they slide. If you slide way ahead of time, you will not get hit. You won't get hit. If you just give yourself up while the, while the oncoming tackler is like eight yards away or, you know, six yards away, you won't get hit ever. But if you wait until you're trying to get every little ounce, every little inch of yard that you think you can get, there's there you you're liable to get hit, just like Andy Dalton did. Um, and I'm not saying it has to be like an egregious like shot to the head, but I'm just saying like you're liable to get hit, and the defenders are coming in fast typically. Now Ward's situation was different. He actually was waiting for Russell Wilson to slide. And Russell Wilson was like, oh, you're not going to, okay, you're not going to, okay, uh, let me stay up then. Okay, let me try. And then and then it was like, and then Ward was just like, man, what the fuck? Then he finally hit him, you know? 
Um, there's a lot of quarterbacks that run full speed and try to get every inch of what they can get, and then they slide, and that's how you get yourself in trouble. Give yourself up far ahead of time. It's almost like they abuse the rule of, you know, them being protected. And them throwing the, the flag on Jimmy Ward, it just encourages that. I think that's kind of bullshit, really. Me as a defender, just knowing how hard it is. Because defenders, especially with these quarterbacks, I know Russell Wilson's smaller, Kyler Murray's smaller, but a lot of these quarterbacks are hella big. Like, Carson Wentz is playing right now. Like, he's like 6'5", 245 pounds or whatever. Like, these dudes are big. And most of the times, a lot bigger than the defensive backs or linebackers that are even linebackers. The linebackers are smaller now. Like, like Carson Wentz is much bigger than Fred Warner. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he's bigger <laughs> than Fred Warner. And Fred like, Warner is a big-ass linebacker. Yeah, he's a big linebacker, 6'4", 235 pounds, whatever. And Carson Wentz is bigger than him. So if Carson Wentz, you know, one of these more regular-sized defensive backs, if he's running full speed and you don't know if he's going to slide or not, then next thing you know, he doesn't slide and Wentz just goes and runs him over. Like, dude, I'm, I'm going to lose that battle. So I, I need to pick up a, a full head of steam. And if he doesn't give himself up, I know I have to throw my all into him. And that's what happens. And then these guys slide at the last minute and take a big shot. Like, I just think it's really unfair and puts the, the defenders at a very uh, vulnerable position. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. And, and, and from another perspective, like I was saying, is you're undermining the, fuck, the, the rule. Like, you know, a sliding quarterback gets protection. Well, to me, if you're going to push it for every last yard and you come within – two yards of a defender expect to get your ass hit and a defend and a, and a referee should be able to look at that situation and say, sorry, dude, you waited way too long to do that. And right. don't give me no bullshit about how Russell Wilson doesn't know how to slide. The dude was hella good at baseball. He knows, <laughs> he knows exactly how to slide and he wanted every last yard. And to me, it almost looked like he was baiting in Jimmy Ward into hitting him knowing that, you know, Russell Wilson, the, the leading front runner for MVP was going to get a flag. And right. to me, if you're trying to look for an easy fix to this referees start, need to start saying or add it to the rule that if you want protection with your slide, there cannot be a defender within five yards of you or, right. you know, or, or two or three. That way it's obvious that if you want to slide and you want to be down, then you better do it well ahead of the defensive back that's flying up to tackle you. Otherwise, it's fair game, and your ass is going to get smacked for just trying to take advantage of the rule. You're playing the game. Don't penalize the defender for just trying to do his damn job because you know how to take advantage of this. And you can watch that play in full speed. You can watch it in slow-mo. Russell Wilson knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. It wasn't like a weird thing. That's why he ended up sliding sideways because he wasn't sure he was going to do it right. to begin and, with. And, and then I talked about it too because somebody was like, well, there's forcible contact to the head or shoulders. And my thing on that is – What else are you supposed to do in that if point? I'm aiming, if, I'm, if I'm close enough to you to where you're – when I commit to tackling you and you're still upright and I aim for your hip, but then all of a sudden your body drops – and I'm not expecting it to drop because you didn't give yourself up soon enough. More times than not, my like I'm aiming for a spot to where if you're running upright, yeah, I would just hit you right in the hip. But if at the last minute you drop and I've already committed to going to hit you, now your hip 
is no longer your hip, it's your head now. So now I'm, I'm liable to make forcible contact to your head. And I, I don't understand how the refereeing committee and stuff, like I've been complaining about this, not just for the 49ers. Like, I mean, for, I remember Joe Flacco, when Joe Flacco got that big hit a few years ago um, that concussed him uh, against the Miami Dolphins. And I think it was like Kiko Alonso that just, yep, just yep. killed him. But if you watch that play, it was like third and 10, and you have um, Joe Flacco all out. was also a big-ass dude. Joe Flacco is not a little dude. It's like 6'5 quarterback. All right? But you got Joe Flacco in an all-out sprint towards the first down marker, and you have Kiko Alonso coming from like a far distance, and Joe Flacco is trying to get every single yard because he's trying to get the first down. And at the very last second, he tries to slide. Like, really, right at the sticks, like, right before the sticks, he tries to slide. Kiko had already committed to hitting him. So, once he slid, Kiko was already all out hitting him, and boom, helmet flew off, all that, big fight jumps out. But that's on the quarterback. He could have been gave himself up a few yards short of the sticks, and that would not have happened. And, and it's kind of it, – it sucks. It sucks that nobody takes that into account. Right. No, it's it's 100% right. And, and this and in case anybody's stupid-ass – Smart ass response on Twitter would be, well, the 49ers would have lost the game regardless. That's not why we're talking about this. We're not talking about oh, if if this call decided the game, then this entire podcast would about this would have been about this bullshit. But it wasn't. It was just one part of the game that to me is obviously bullshit. And it's going, like I said, it 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 has it 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 needs to have an impact on the NFL and how they look at slides. Because the moment quarterbacks start gaming the slide and trying to take advantage of the rule is the moment quarterbacks are going to start getting hurt more often because defenders are just going to say, fuck it, I'm going to hit this guy. I'd rather draw a penalty than just let him run right by because I don't know if he's sliding. Right. You know, it's it's almost the same thing as like when a quarterback tries to pretend like he's running out of bounds and then ends up cutting back in real quick to get you know a few more yards or whatever, yeah. you know. The, the defender should have just destroyed him. But that defender is hesitant to do that because he knows he's going to get flagged. Right. So, you know, they just need to expand on the rule a bit and and make it very clear how early a QB needs to slide if they want to be protected. Otherwise, if they're waiting until the last minute, then their ass is a runner. And, and what's funny too is, and I don't get this, is that was on a designed run to Russell Wilson. He was a, a running back on that play. Now I guess I guess that's why they called it making contact to the head of a defenseless player if that's when they're calling it but it, it, no matter which way you square it it was bad and it's bad for the league and it's bad for quarterbacks and it's bad for defenders and they have to figure that shit out because it happens too often like it's we talk about it multiple times every year you know it's it's just it's 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 just getting to the point where and and even defenders are at risk of being hurt because they have to do some awkward ass shit just, just to avoid, you know, either letting him go or, yeah, you guys get the point. Anyways, yeah, I mean, the they, the the refs aided uh, uh, Kyler Murray down the field a couple of times in that 49ers game where guys are like trying their hardest to stay off of a guy that you don't know if he's gonna slide or not, and then he does slide and it's like, okay, and then like Dre Greenlaw and whoever else was like trying their hardest to not like fall on him and they still threw the flag and it's like, come on, right. <laughs> They did right. that like twice on one drive where they're extending. I mean, that's 30 yards worth of penalties, extra yardage, you know? It's kind of ridiculous, but 
I mean, ultimately, like you said, that wasn't the reason the 49ers lost. Uh, it, it When you're playing a guy like Russell Wilson, you know, you, you, if you can't get a pass rush, it's going to be a shootout. And right now, the 49ers quarterback play as it stands is not capable of playing in a shootout. Again, I said as it stands because we have seen Jimmy Garoppolo play in the shootout and play extremely well. It just doesn't seem like he has like, – like you were saying um, – you mentioned it before we got on the pod. You were like, it doesn't seem like he's playing with that same type of confidence. And, you know, I'm seeing the same thing. Yep. And that and that was one of the things we talked about leading up to this matchup is the 40, the 49ers offense was going to have to take advantage of every stop that the defense was able to get. And the 49ers offense was just never anywhere close to cruising to that point where they could they could score and take advantage of the defense. And I don't even think the defense forced any turnovers. So there really was just, you know, a bad offense that never even really had a chance to to keep pace with what the Seahawks were doing. Uh, it was just it was just a bad matchup. I'm glad we got to end on a little bit of a controversial rule, though. At least we're passionate about that because uh, <laughs> you know yeah. not a whole lot to be passionate about after that game. But you got any closing thoughts, Croc? You good? Nah, man. Uh, you know, get ready for for the Packers. Or oh, we'll we'll touch on winners and losers. Tomorrow and then, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Be ready for a, uh, just giving you a little heads up, be ready for a, a losers-filled pod tomorrow. You know, hey, this... We haven't had one of those in a couple of weeks, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I know, I know. We're going we're gonna to go in on them. And, uh, uh, and then we will probably, we'll, we'll talk about it. We may have you to know, skip the mailbag this week because yeah. the 49ers play the Packers on Thursday. We want to make sure we at least get our game preview in before then. Um, we'll see. We'll see how the week shakes out. Um, but I mean, you guys, y'all have been killing it with a mailbag lately, like 30 questions last week. So I don't think it'd be the worst thing if we didn't have one this week, but Hey, at least you're inside the thought process of Crocker and I, um, but Hey, that's it for another week. I know it was a rough, rough day for y'all. Um, but I still appreciate you guys hopping on here and listening to our thoughts. Um, we'll be back at it again tomorrow. Like Crocker said, breaking down our winners and losers. Um, but for another evening, this is Striking Gold, signing out. Peace. Justice for Kendrick Bourne. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.